What's interesting is, and maybe scandalous even, is that if you can really unearth the depths of your desires, they're probably not as bad as you think, even if they seem bad at some other level. Okay, we're keeping the conversation going, talking to Brandon about the things that shape us, the formative influences in our life that's going with our Shape series that we're doing at the church. And uh, this time I want us to talk about habits. Yeah. Uh, specifically, you know, when I say habits, habits bring to mind, you know, time management or eating, health, all, all kinds of things. What I mean by habits is really just repeated actions. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of actions that we repeat in our life that we don't necessarily put in the habit category. Um, maybe we don't think of brushing our teeth as a habit or maybe the way that we uh, cope with certain emotions, you know, internally, you know, we don't think of those as habits, but any, anything that is repeated, uh, a repeated action is, is a habit. And one of the things that you taught me that has made a profound impact on my life and anybody in our church would know, cause I've talked about it a lot and showed a lot is, um, the structure of self. Is mm-hmm. that, that's the right title. Self, structure of soul, soul self, what I called it both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So structure of self, and I'll, I'll put an image of it up on the screen right now, but I remember the way you explained it to me and I want you to talk about it is that, you know, our physical action, our physical self, the public version of our life is at the top. Yep. And then if you go down to the bottom, the, the way that we get to that person we are publicly, you start at the bottom is desires, beliefs, emotions or feelings, and then thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads us to, um, to our actions. And that has been a massive game changer for me because I've started trying to notice and be aware of how my actions, mm-hmm. especially my repeated actions, are connected to really my deepest desires. Sure. And so the phrase that we use a lot of times is, um, I do things I don't want to do because I feel ways I don't want to feel because I have thing I don't have things I want to have. Yep. I do things I don't want to do because I feel ways I don't want to feel because I don't have things that I want to have. And so I know you can take that in a lot of different directions, but since you're the one who taught it to me, sure. I would love for you to kind of talk about how our deepest desires at a basic pro, you know, basic level influence the everyday actions that we do. Yeah. So the way that I'd like to, th- to think about that whole construction is, uh, you know me, I love the mountains. Uh, and so my, my illustration typically is like, think about the construction of self like a mountain. And so the easiest part of the mountain to get to, the part of the mountain that everyone can sort of see up close and personal <clears throat> is going to be the lowest part of the mountain, the part that didn't require any climbing uh, or much effort. And so your behaviors are kind of like that part that anyone can have access to. The thing that they see you do, the way that you engage with the world around you um, is is sort of at the, the, the lowest level or the easiest level to sort of access. And then above that, um, that's a little, you know, harder to get to within each of us is going to be sort of our thinking. Um, like we share our thoughts with, uh, sometimes acquaintances, sometimes, uh, people that we're closer to, but, um, you know, behaviors are the way that you engage with the, the gas station attendant, like that, that's just what that, that, there's nothing special, private, you know, uh, intimate about that. Um, but as you go up, you know, things uh, get more intimate. And so, uh, you know, up the mountain a little ways more than than our um, our thoughts or our emotions, and um, keep in mind, like as you were saying earlier, like we get to the top, like all this stuff applies as it goes back down too, right? So um, our behaviors are typically the outflow of our thinking, 
and our thinking uh, is is typically based on our emotions. There's a lot of pushback on that in terms of like ah, you know, um, our our emotions are supposed to be you know under the um, the guidance of our thinking. Uh, but the thing that we know the most about, like the way that our brains actually work, is that's not true. The emotional part of our brain is 20 times faster than the uh, the cognitive, literal, um, like logical part of our brains. We feel we feel something before we can process it. Yeah, you're feeling things in sort of like in the um, the implicit parts of reality, the the non sort of logical, non objective parts, uh, much faster. Uh, than the objective, literal, uh, logical parts. Okay. And so um, our logical brain is, is behind our, um, our emotional uh, sort of fear-based reactionary brain, uh, you know, if we're really getting to it. But anyway, so like our emotions are going to guide our thoughts, are going to guide our behaviors at the base of the mountain. Um, above our emotions are going to be this idea that like our beliefs really sort of negotiate the way that we feel about things. Like for instance, um, if my daughter gave me a pen and then uh, that that pen was from her specifically and it came from a place I don't have access to anymore, uh, then even though it's just a pen, that means a lot to me. The thing that I believe about that pen that makes it special is that because she gave it to me as a gift and because like I don't have access to be able to get another one or the circumstance where it came from, that belief about the pen sort of if I were to lose it, is going to influence the way I feel about that. Okay. Then think what's, about What's it. the difference between a belief and a thought? Uh, that's a great question. So our beliefs um, are, it's not that they're not thoughts. Uh, but when we say beliefs, we're not really saying like, uh, do you believe there's a God? Um, that, of course, is going to be a belief. Yeah. But beliefs are going to be the, the sort of like implicit thoughts that we have and we assume are true about the world, the things that, like, that we don't have to think through. Um, and so is it the, like the code that we live life by kind of like it's in the background. Um, and so they're, they're, they're automatic. It's sort of like, you know, you do things on autopilot. Uh, for instance, belief, a great way to explain it, um, is to think about these chairs that we're sitting in. Um, neither one of us had thoughts about sitting in the chair. We just sat in the chair right. because we believed that the chair was going to be able to hold us based on our experiences of chairs in the past. But if, uh, like that table in the corner over there, like if, if I was going to, I don't know that I'd actually sit on that because I've never sat on a table like that before. I don't know if it would hold my weight. So that's that the implicit belief that I have about this chair is going to hold my weight. I didn't think about that, but it's there. And I'm aware of it, like, because I'm, I'm engaging with it in this moment. So our belief, um, and that's where things get really sort of tricky, is our beliefs sort of exist on this continuum between uh, fear on one end and, and, and love on the other, scarcity on one end and abundance on the other. Uh, and those things are sitting, you know, those are, that's pretty high up on the mountain now, right? So we're like behaviors, then thoughts, uh, then emotions, then beliefs. And at the very top, uh, the, the part that's closest to God, if you will, if, if God, if we still conceptualize him the way that the, the, the biblical authors do is sort of, you know, in the heaven space. Um, is there at the top. So our desires are the closest part of us as we're extending uh, towards God. And I think that that's absolutely true in terms of how then our, our desires are sort of negotiating beliefs, negotiating emotions, thoughts, and then behaviors at the very base of the mountain. And by desires, you mean 
you don't mean like I want a cheeseburger. You mean like our deeply, like our, our deepest desires, like hierarchy of needs type of stuff? Kind of, yeah. But like we could even start with the cheeseburger. So the question typically is like, what do you want? And you say, well, I want a cheeseburger. That's still, that's, you know, I don't want to just say, ah, that's not a real answer. What's the cheeseburger get you? Like, why do you want a cheeseburger? Well, I'm hungry. And so uh, there's something about sort of like safety and order that eating is going to supply you. Uh, and that's a desire. That's a core desire. You know, you know, we don't, we, we feel safe when we feel satiated, when we feel full. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we don't feel like we're at risk when, at much risk as if when we're hungry. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so the cheeseburgers is a fine place to start in terms of desire. But to, to say a little bit more about it, there's like a category and desire for that sort of, you know, security order space. That's foundational. Like we need to feel like we have some dominion and that things are relatively safe. And then once we've established that, then we have sort of categories of desire for community mm-hmm. and connection with others. And then once community is established and safety beneath that is established, then we have the opportunity to really step into sort of affirmational space, like the the sense that we are affirmed or that we're needed or wanted or important. Um, and that desire uh, sort of category is is at the top of the other two. Okay. So somebody's listening or watching right now, and they're like, what the heck does yeah. this have to do with habits? Yeah. It does. It has a lot to do with habits. It does. Let me give you a massively oversimplified scenario. Sure. Um, and I use this a lot because I feel like we can all kind of, that this desire to be rich, you know, seems to be kind of a pervasive, you know, in our culture or whatever. So take somebody who continues to play the lottery even though they don't have any money, and they're, they're putting, they're making the bad decision they have formed a bad habit of playing the lottery. We'll just use it as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've said in this series and we say at the church that, you know, you are who you are because of the stories you believe and the actions you repeat. Okay? Mm-hmm. So this is a repeated action of buying lottery tickets that they cannot afford, just as you use sure. an example. Okay. Yep. Well, if we use the structure of self, again, massively oversimplified, but the, the physical repeated action is buying the lotto ticket. Mm-hmm. The thought is, again, simplified, I want to win the lottery. Mm-hmm. The emotion is, I don't want to feel poor. I don't want to feel uh, pain, really pain, meaningless, whatever it is. Connected to the belief that um, rich people never feel this way, you mm. know, or mm. like I want to, mm-hmm. I'm poor, so I'm unfulfilled, or I'm not important, or I don't have what I need, and a person with money wouldn't feel this way anymore. And so I have this belief, this story that I believe. That being that being rich solves this feeling mm-hmm. and gives me what I want the most, which is not a million dollars. It's what I think a million dollars would get me, and that is fulfillment or meaning or importance or comfort or whatever, whatever, whatever. Sure. Massively oversimplified, but is, would that be accurate? Yeah, because I mean, and it really applies to the the whole question about desire, because. Um, most people, when they're playing the lottery, they think that like, oh, this means I won't have to worry about work anymore. And so it takes care of sort of that that level of security and order that we all want to settle first. And then um, if I have um, if I have a million dollars, that'll make me more important. And so my community will change, right? And then if my community changes, uh, then I will be affirmed by people differently because I have a million dollars or whatever. And so, yeah, playing the lottery at its sort of like base level, whether it's a a habit or an addiction, um, because gambling can be an addiction, um, 
is me is an attempt to sort of satiate to meet those needs. And the person who's walking up to the gas station counter, yeah, is not processing their need for importance or anything like that. It's at a subconscious level. But my point in using that example is if you want to get at why you repeat the actions you repeat and how our repeated actions shape us, you have to eventually answer the question. And this is what you've been teaching me. You have to eventually answer the question, what do you want? Yep. And usually your first answer is not what you want. It's what you think will get you what you want. And you kind of keep asking that question, well, what will that give you? Well, what will that give you? But eventually you're going to get to a few like core human needs of affirmation or companionship or, or love or mm-hmm. uh, whatever. So, so talk a little bit about that connection, you know, between desire. You can change the things you do at a basic level by like willpower and trying really hard to try to be something that you don't feel like you're not. But then, like, unless we get to desire, we're not ultimately going to change physical repeated action. Yeah, so the the biggest relationship in terms of those different levels, when we're talking about things like changing a uh, an action or a habit, is going to be between our, our desires and our belief. Uh, because there's something, like the engagement of, like, the thing, like, what you believe about your desire, a particular desire. So, for instance... Um, I, I would, I want to be able so I'll speak personally. I want to be able to run another, I want to run a sub six minute mile again. I don't know if I'll be able to, I, you know, I'd like to, I used to be able to. Why do you want to run? Now let me be your yeah. doctor here. Why do you want to run a sub six minute mile? Because there's what a, will that give you? A, a memory that I get to experience again, honestly. Okay. Uh, because when I was in high school, I used to run track, uh, and, uh, I used to be really fast when I was a lot less heavy. Um, and I had super long legs as I do now, but, uh, there's something about being able to be as fast as I was then that would be kind of fun to see if it's even possible. Who knows? Um, but so the belief that I have about that desire, um, and like you think about it in terms of like, okay, well, what category is that in, in terms of, is that like a security thing or a community thing or a affirmation thing? I think it's kind of like a, a self-affirmation thing that you can still do that. You know, uh, whether or not I can, we don't know. My guess is I can't, um, but we'll see. Um, but the, <laughs> sub six is really fast. <laughs> sub six is that would be pretty great. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that you know the thing I believe about like that desire, uh, and then the the relationship between that belief and the desire itself ends up having a lot of power that motivates my behavior. Uh, think about that in terms of a lot of people that that um, on January one decide to get a gym membership. Yeah, you know, um, there's something that they want, and then there's something that they believe, and that those two things together created the action of getting a gym membership. Yeah. So Tim Keller says, I love I love when Tim Keller says or how he just explains it. He says you can trace all of your sins back to your core desire. Because you're either trying to get what you want but don't have, or you're trying to keep what you have because you believe if you lose it, it will destroy who you are. You're right. Um, and so the the repeated action element to this, if, if our habits shape us and our habits are forming us, we're reconfirming or reestablishing every time we do it. James Clear talks about this a lot in Atomic Habits 
where he talks about how, you know, the first time you do something, it's unexpected and the dopamine hit happens in your brain and you're like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, that's, wow, that's never, you know, a high from a substance or a high from a run or uh, the taste of a good, you know, chocolate, something or a dessert, you know. And then the more you do it, the more you're training your brain when the hit's going to come. And then you get the hit eventually before you ever even do it because you know what's going to come. And then eventually you don't get the hit you used to get because your body's gotten used to it. So that's how he explains it. But every time we repeat an action, Mm -hmm. we're kind of reaffirming or reconfirming what we believe is true. Mm -hmm. Would that be fair to say? I think so. Right? And so we get into these six months, six year, 20 year, you know, we still struggle with the sins of our youth or the bad habits of our youth or whatever it is. And it's because we're still holding on to, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but we're kind of still holding on to some beliefs about life or the way the world works or the way that, you know, we can get what we want that breaks us, you know, that, that gives us this hope or this illusion we keep doing what we're doing. So the question is, how how do we change our beliefs? Or I guess well, I guess the first question is how do we change our desires? Or if that's not the question, the question is like, how do we change our beliefs? If if actions will never really change until beliefs and desires are affected, how do you get to changing those beliefs and desires? Yeah, so the what's interesting is, and maybe scandalous even, is that if you can really unearth the depths of your desires they're probably not as bad as you think, even if they seem bad at some other level. So like the desire to have a million dollars, that if it's just sort of a desire of greed, that's not great. Um, but if, if, there's a, if there's a belief that you have about who you are and showing up as a person that feels like having that money is going to fix, then the affirmation that you want or the security that you want, or the community that you want. And those things, I think, are like, we can trace those back to Genesis 1 and 2. Like, that stuff is all right there in the very beginning about, um, you know, we're created for relationship, we're given power by God, we're affirmed as His children. Like, those are all things that happen before the fall. And so our beliefs are where that stuff goes offline. Right. So what about... What about when a habit becomes an addiction? You mentioned that earlier, that it could be an addiction, not a habit. And the idea being, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the idea that is this idea is that we're kind of powerless to our addictions or helpless to our addictions. We can change our habits, but we can't change our addictions kind of seems to be the, the idea, the pervasive narrative. Is it, I guess, first of all, is that true? But what is the difference between a habit and an addiction? And how does that play out Like even when you're trying to help somebody in your field? Yeah, so addictions, um, there's different uh, sort of like mm-hmm, like groups of thinking on this. There's different sort of uh, players in that space in terms of like the way that we see addictions work. There's like the AA model, which is that you are powerless, and so you need to appeal to a higher power, and uh, you need community, um, and you need to recognize your powerlessness, and you work the 12 steps and all of and that, and it's good, it's effective. Um, and so the AA folks would say, yeah, if you have an addiction, you're powerless over your addiction. There's other um, ways of thinking about addiction that don't require 
being powerless over them in order to affect some sort of change. And those groups are going to, they'll have a different sort of way of thinking about um, addiction. I don't, I haven't done enough reading to sort of say, this one's absolutely right and this one's not. Uh, I think that it seems like there's good clinical evidence that, that either could work. Uh, and so 12-step uh, programs work really well. Celebrate Recovery from Saddleback is a wonderful program that uses a 12-step model to help people with habits, hang-ups, and hurts that I think is, is excellent. Um, but I don't think that's the only way. Uh, and so there, there's other ways to, to manage those things as well. But what, what was the question again? Like, I feel like, oh, you're good. So like, what, what is the difference between habit and addiction? Oh yeah. Like I get maybe even clinically, but like in your line of work, like how do you help someone, you know, if there's a difference, then how do you help them? Like what's the difference between trying to fix or overcome an addiction versus trying to change a habit? So, um, habits, we can think of them as like adaptive or maladaptive. They're healthy. They, they sort of help, uh, sort of, uh, drive flourishing or they're distressing, uh, and they, they take away from flourishing. Uh, and so you could have a habit that is, um, that can be good. Um, like my dad's a dentist, brushing your teeth is good. You'll get less cavities if you brush your teeth. Um, and or a bad habit in the same sort of thing is to eat a lot of like sugary stuff at night before you go to bed and not brush your teeth. Yeah. And that's going to mean lots of cavities and lots of pain in your mouth. Um, but neither one of those things are necessarily an addiction. An addiction <clears throat> is going to be a, a behavior where um, whether it's, you know, a substance related thing or a behavior related thing that is you trying to cope with life in a particular way so that life just sort of, it's not, no, it's no longer, so with alcohol, it's not uh, to, to get drunk necessarily, although if you're addicted to alcohol, you're going to get drunk. It's to try to like cope and keep things the same. So, so the difference being the, the tool, no, let's see, the difference being that, that, I am using, I've become dependent on something to, uh, to kind of meet us, meet a need, I don't know, psychologically, emotionally, like, I'm, is it a dependency? Is, would addiction be de- like, could we put it in the dependency category and the habits, not necessarily a dependency? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of thinking about it, that, that, um, addictions <coughs> are going to really run down this track of I'm just trying to like keep life going. Okay. You know? And so if I'm addicted to like uh, a a substance, it's less about, uh, there's an escape aspect of it, but the escape is about just being able to cope, Mm -hmm. to keep things moving. What about addictions like that are more socially acceptable, like coffee or sugar or, you know, we all kind of look at, drugs or alcohol or gambling or kind of the major taboo ones, which actually technology is considered an addiction now. But like, what about, what's the difference between those and the way that we use, I mean, you and I both love coffee. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between those and, and the more socially acceptable dependencies? Is there a difference? I mean, the, the social acceptance of something doesn't like tell us whether it's good or bad. Yeah. It just means that like, uh, there's less pressure to change. Yeah. Okay, so what would you say to somebody who's listening or watching <coughs> and, and they would say, like, I've got, 
I've we all have habits we want to change, but I've got some deeply entrenched, repeated actions in my life. What would you say to that person is like kind of the best starting point to begin to kind of unwrap where those are coming from? I, you know, what's the story? How did that develop? You know, like the the would it be helpful to like when's the first time you did it or when do you want to do it? Like cues and stuff like that. Is that what you're saying? I'm more like, you know, how did that become the way that it is for you? How did that get to where it is in the story? Um, not necessarily because if we can understand the origin and then we're able to sort of like undo it, but like, what did you want or believe or what was it trying to sort of meet in terms of a need in the first place? And um, like most people, uh, when they're addicted to things, they're using them to cope by escaping. And so they're managing sort of life by uh, using something uh, to escape and to not feel pain so that they can sort of continue on. Um, It's not that they're trying to like get to the high and like go up here. They're like, no, I kind of need this. Like I need another hit so I can just keep going. Yeah. Um, and so if they have a bad habit or they have an, even an addiction, um, trying to figure out like where the, maybe the pain is coming from that they're trying to address by, um, by escaping it. Or, uh, if it's, if it's more of a bad habit, like what, like what was the, the thing that you wanted or the thing that you believe about the thing that you wanted that is sort of like pushing this down that way. And then is there a, a better, you know, a less distressing one, a, a method that's more um, oriented to thriving yeah. that helps get you there? We, I think we mentioned it a few, a few minutes ago, but one of the questions that you always ask me that is very helpful is what do you think that will get you? Hmm? And I think that question always forces me to, get back to that belief desire thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking so confident. There are times where we'll be talking and you're like, I'm talking so con- you're talking so confidently about that. What do you like? What's that going to get you? Mm-hmm. And I'll have to go. Um, and I'll, maybe I come up with an answer and then you'll say, well, what's that going to get you? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it's, uh, and eventually it, like you realize that, you know, biting your nails or, uh, you know, doing something destructive or like, there's a reason you're doing it that you think will get you something that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And that's, it doesn't mean that it becomes easy to overcome, but it, you do begin to kind of see the origins of it. Mm-hmm.